Very thankful to be here, and we miss you, and we, we love you guys. But uh, <clears throat> we want to take a look this morning at the last verse, verse 18 from Hebrews chapter 2. And as you know, we've been in Hebrews chapter 2 for quite some time. And uh, I don't know how everybody else feels, but I've enjoyed it very much, uh, preaching it, because I'm preaching it to myself and and to my wife, and it causes us to to think and consider things that we often may neglect. But this morning we've returned here to Hebrews chapter 2, and it's the, the last time in the foreseeable future that we'll be in Hebrews chapter 2 as we move forward into chapter 3 next week. But we will return with some exception uh, for reference to the things that will be revealed through the Scripture and through Jesus Christ in the chapters to come. But we'll conclude today our, our study of chapter 2 and we'll look at verse 18 there, and it says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What a, what a meaningful verse considering the last verse of by and by there as we, as we sang about trials dark on every hand. And uh, there's a reality revealed to us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 18, when we can consider what we as Christians will go through because of what Christ has gone through and that these trials are, are a blessed time in the Lord. And I want us to consider that, but before we go any further, I'd ask that we would bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, uh, not because uh, we as natural man have a propensity to worship Lord but because of your saving grace because of your uh, great mercy and long suffering towards us God that you have revealed the truth of who your son Jesus Christ is and you have revealed to us his sufficient sacrifice Lord you have shown us through the law and through Christ's perfect righteousness the sinfulness that we carry each day and Lord I'm thankful that because of what Christ has done because of who he is as both man and God that I myself may see sin, Lord, and be broken by it, but be rejoicing at the same time, for there is a Savior who is great, who is powerful, who is uh, the King of kings, who is Lord of lords, who is high priest, and he is interceding for us at this very moment, Lord, and we rejoice and praise you for that, Lord. It is your work and nothing that man has done, Lord, and we come before you uh, to offer our worship. Lord, we come before you seeking wisdom, uh, seeking spiritual discernment, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be so greatly impressed upon us this day that uh, we would be saddened by the state of our, our flesh, Lord, but that we would rejoice in the great uh, spiritual prosperity that we have in Christ. And Lord, we pray that your word be so powerful today that those who have not confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord, they are here, they are in the midst of this congregation Lord, they are in the, the walls of this church, and we ask that today, Lord, that you will cause the knee of, of that sinner to bow. Lord, that you would bring to tears the one who is yet to uh, speak that Christ is Lord, who is yet to be reverent to you as we ought. Lord, we just pray that, that the 
the word that you give today, Lord, from these unclean lips be so powerful as it testifies of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we trust you. We trust that your word will not return void. And we look forward uh, to your kingdom, Lord, as you've established it in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So as we look, I want to look back at the, the previous few verses from 14 forward. And it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I will submit to you this morning that this epistle to the Hebrews is certainly written to the people of God. But in that very last sentence that concludes what we know as chapter 2, there is the call and the description to all man. It says, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Who is tempted? That is every single man. Every single man, every single woman, and every single child. And no. Uh, I didn't write any of this in my sermon notes. As I read over it even again aloud before uh, the Lord's people, it's amazing to see the sovereign grace of God in salvation. And it doesn't say that every man who is tempted will be saved, but it says that Christ, He who is named in verse 18 and who is described throughout the entire text, He is able... He is able to save all men. He is willing to save those to whom he has chosen. Those whom have been given to Christ from the Father. And all that have been chosen, none will he cast out, he says. And so I I say that this morning so that we be reminded that our Savior has no bounds. He has no borders. There are no fences and there are no walls that can keep him out. Even the walls of a stony heart for those are the ones which he breaks down by his good pleasure and by the truth of his person. And we see that this morning in the text. It should be obvious to us being the church, being the people, being the bride of Christ of whom the text is speaking this morning. The subject is none other than Jesus the Christ. This is not a Jesus who uh, the majority will follow. This is not just any Jesus, but this is the Jesus who is the Christ. This is the Jesus who is Himself very God of very God. This is the Christ who is man. This is the Christ who is Savior. This is the Christ who is Messiah. We have been for some time searching the Scriptures. In fact, 
since we have come to Christ and come to know Christ and come to realize our salvation, if we are truly Christians, we have been searching the Scriptures, particularly uh, every line, but even so, the Hebrews for many months, to see the overarching proclamation that is Christ Jesus, only propitiation, only Savior, only one who is able and willing to save. That is the message of every text of the Bible that Christ Jesus is Savior, Christ is Lord, and that He is God. Not only does this Christ whom we speak of save, but He alone is the one who is able to save. There is no other, there is no hope. And if you were here for Sunday school this morning, uh, Brother Pat brought out a text and speaking of Baal and how the prophets were trying to to call down fire and uh, Elijah made such a mockery of them because it could not be done. Is your God asleep? Is he out for a walk? This is not the, the Christ that we serve, but ours is the one who is able and who has for all intents and purposes lit a fire He is the one who brings forth the truth of a regenerate heart. And he is the one who causes obedience to stem, therefore, from that. But not only does he save, but he causes us to change. He causes us to love what we once hated. To hate once what we loved. And the salvation offered in Christ is not to be compared to any other for Christ alone is the one who is the very son of God and this may seem very trivial as I describe this but we have to remember there are people this morning being swayed by another Jesus by another gospel and so I I, I make no apologies for describing the Christ that you will hear of every week from this pulpit because he is the Christ who is able to save the ones who may not even be listening right now. He's powerful and he deserves to be proclaimed and he is God and he deserves to be worshipped. This is the Christ who has two distinct natures, man and God. He is the one through whom our great God speaks as we consider what has been said through the first chapter of the Hebrews. If God is speaking only through Christ, then it is Inevitable that we realize that Christ is the only one whom we need to listen to. Your spouse can be wrong. Your parents can be wrong. Your children can be wrong. Your boss at work can be wrong. Your elders can be wrong. Your deacons can be wrong. But Jesus Christ is never wrong. We must trust the word as far as it is biblical coming from the mouth of anyone who would profess to be a Christian. It's for this reason that I make a warning. Even for those who would listen to the preaching that comes from this pulpit, measure it against what you see in Scripture and see that this is the God that we speak of. He is seated at a position 
in heaven. He is seated at the right hand as it is described. His throne is detailed and his jurisdiction and his power to reign is confirmed by none other than God the Father himself. Christ and his salvation are, excuse me, completely and constantly magnified through these chapters, the ones that we have studied. A warning is given at the beginning of of chapter 2 with verse 1 to cling to this gospel. Cling to this good news. And it's received in the middle of the transmission of who Christ is being described by God. A gospel of humility. A gospel that a kinsman redeemer is come and he has fulfilled all that no other man has been able to do. Yet man was purposed to do. This is the message that man has fallen yet Christ has picked him up Christ has saved this is a Jesus who has accomplished not only what no other man could but what no other man has been willing to do there has been no man since Adam except for Jesus Christ that has been willing to be obedient at every moment and in every season so that God would be glorified And that's why we meet today, because we are to glorify God, yet we have not. We need to know how. We need to know how we may be justified, how we may worship the Lord, how we may be saved. We are to be serving the Father in total obedience, yet Jesus is the only one who has, and he's done so for the sake of his name. The introduction is nevertheless the same as it has been each morning when I have presented the text to you. The introduction is that Christ and him alone, being final prophet, final priest, final king, Lord of lords, the only name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So we have the background of what we've seen every week and what we will continue to see until the Lord returns with every passage and with every scripture. We look to see Christ. And then we have the salvation of mankind depicted with verse 14 beginning with the therefore and ending with verse 17 until we arrive to the text today. Jesus is in all ways like man, yet he is a propitiation. He is the propitiation where no other man can or would be for man was made perfect yet fallen. And he needs salvation. And he needs to be saved. And Christ has come to be in all ways like man. So that in all ways man after being made regenerate will in fact be saved. Verse 18 again says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he was suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It begins with the words for since. The words here are chosen to illustrate sort of a cause and effect situation if we would look. For since, because something has happened. 
Therefore, something else must be done so that there is a remedy or an answer to what we see. And when we consider all of those things, there are many things that we would neglect from these scriptures. There are many things that we may miss, but it is because man has fallen, God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is because man is unable to fulfill what God has created him for, Jesus has come to fulfill and make whole what is torn and decayed. And in the immediate context, because man was fearful of death, because man was powerless himself, Christ has come to render all of these things null because he is greater than anyone who has ever come. He is greater than any prophet. He is holier than any man, and he is perfect in all his ways. So we have this four sense describing a cause and effect. What has happened, you may ask? Well, the answer was the fall of man. Genesis reveals the truth of what is going on. And the gospel, in fact, did begin at the beginning. Maybe some are preaching this morning and will not uh, confirm that. But the truth is that the good news of Jesus Christ began at the beginning. The good news of Jesus Christ existed eternally before the beginning even. And so uh, if we would like to understand to the best of our ability... I see it needful that we turn to Genesis chapter 3. That we would read the word of the Lord together. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made, and yet said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want to stop right there just as a, a caveat to the, the main uh, point behind the text there that this should be a, a key indicator not to fall prey to Mormon doctrine. This is exactly what Satan was saying, that ye shall be as gods. If it came from the mouth of Satan to deceive, we better not believe it. Amen? Amen. Let's go forward. It says the serpent uh, said these things to the woman. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes... And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and did he eat. 
And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou, thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all of the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Until the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy shall desire shall that excuse me, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. And hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return." And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living unto Adam also. And to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. For since he himself was tempted is the text. And we see that the beginning began with one being tempted. And I would like to, to make a side note that we noticed that uh, as Eve and Adam had sinned, so also was responsible the party who provoked the sin. Christians need to be reminded of that. Not only are we in trouble when we sin, but when we cause others to sin. That's why we're instructed not to be a stumbling block. Why we should be careful with our Christian liberties. Why we should also be careful not to be legalist. But here we have sin that has caused the need for a Savior. Not just any Savior, but 
the Savior. There is always that article when we talk about Christ making what could be infinite finite when we say that Christ is the Savior, specifying that there is but one. And that is because the Bible tells us as believing Christians what we know about the Savior, and that is that He is and was and is to come. There is none like Him. He is unique, the only begotten, the text says, and He has always and eternally existed. Even before sin, Christ is. Similar was the statement of Christ in John chapter 8. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now two things are being shown to us in that text. That Christ has eternally existed as God because he is and was and shall forever be God. But it also shows us those things in which Jesus Christ may have been tempted. As he is going through the various trials. We even notice that Jesus prayed If it could, if it is possible, let this cup pass. For any other man, I'm sure the temptation would be very great. And even as the thief on the cross said, if you are indeed who you say, then take yourself and remove yourself from this cross. Save yourself and us also. What a temptation it must have been for any other man. What a temptation the text says that it is even for Christ, but he is perfect and we are not. As we see the text even here in John chapter 8, man is tempted. Man is created in a state which is perfect. God does not create anything that is not perfect. Man was in such a state considered perfect, and this is indeed a reality. For how could sin stain something that was not perfect? Have you ever considered that? There is some debate amongst professing Christians whether or not men were created perfect, where the Lord says it is very good. And yet they would say that man somehow was not made perfect. If that is the case, then what has sin done to destroy me? If indeed I am already imperfect, then you can leave out everything about sin because I was born already needing salvation. But indeed we see something different as we consider Genesis chapter 3 and the sin of Adam. We see that Sin has indeed stained and blemished what was perfect. Then in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 27 it says, Behold this have I found, saith the preacher, 
counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. God has made man upright. And when we read the text of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 this morning, we see what all Jesus Christ has gone through because we indeed have taken this upright position and have perverted it in that we would commit iniquity against a just and holy God. Therefore needing salvation. And we see that Adam's response is one of transgression. A transgression against this holy creator God in which he himself alone could redeem from such a devastating end. And still it is not Adam alone. It is not just Adam who has sinned. Sin is in me. Sin is in you. And if you don't believe that, just go ahead and ignore the rest of today's sermon. But sin is here today. The only saving grace is that Jesus Christ is also here. House divided will not stand, but those who belong to Christ will be fought for and sin will be conquered. Without a Savior, there is no refuge. It shall not be found. And according to the prophet Isaiah, all are like sheep and have gone astray. This message is for everyone. All have gone astray. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The text this morning is telling us what Christ has gone through in order to be like man in all ways, yet to save man. The cause is sin. For sins. Because of sin. Because of flesh. He himself is tempted in that which he has suffered. With sin, man has been tempted to do the exact opposite of what we were created to do. Men were made to glorify. Men were made to worship. Men were made to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Yet we do not do as we should. 
We have failed every test. We have forgotten and neglected all of the knowledge that God has given. And we stand even today in desperate need of saving. If Christ was not risen and ascended and seated on the throne, there would be no one to make intercession for you at this very moment. As you're thinking about the meal. Or thinking about what we'll do when we leave here today. Or as you're sleeping. Wherever sin is, grace is there to abound. The idea is that we have neglected every written instruction, every verbal instruction, every prophet, every priest before and since Christ, we still are guilty. But Christ has been made like his brethren in all things so that his priesthood would be established among men so that he could bring before God the Father a sacrifice that is forever sufficient. And I want to stop right there and tell you how blessed it is to sit in a pew at a Bible-believing church because this morning as your pastor, I will admit, I sat here for Sunday school. Pat doesn't have a doctorate. I don't either. Me and Pat, neither one, been to seminary. But there is the truth that whoever shall open this word for the sake of Christ, to him shall be given biblical wisdom and discernment. As Pat was bringing forth some truth, and we consider this salvation in Christ, we consider a priest who is bringing a sacrifice, who is the sacrifice, I thought, how many times have I stood here and described a sacrifice in Christ that is so great because the previous sacrifices had to be made over and over again. And that's how I've described it. Described it. That Christ comes once and for all, the final sufficient sacrifice, the only one. He is better than any other sacrifice because they must be made over and over again. And this morning it hit me. Why is that true? Every sacrifice that was brought was to be without spot and without blemish, right? And when the sacrifice was brought before God, it was totally consumed as we saw this morning in the Sunday school, right? And that even the water around the sacrifice was licked up and there was nothing left. Christ's sacrifice is so great because after the sacrifice was over, there was something left. There was still one who is without spot, without blemish. The lamb was not consumed. And that's why the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is so great. It doesn't have to be made over and over again because the sacrifice who is eternal shall not be consumed. Darkness shall not overcome him. Christ was made like his brethren. He was the final sufficient sacrifice. He is settling the repentant man's debt once and for all. Not only would he be as a priest bringing the sacrifice, but he is that sacrifice. Verse 17 describes it. He is a propitiation. And at every point where man has failed, Christ has prevailed. Christ has corrected. 
Christ has improved, made perfect. He has remedied. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, because he has suffered, Christ can sympathize. And because he was yet without sin, he could expiate. I don't say this very often, but if anyone has questions, the church leadership is available because we want you to understand what Christ has done. It's not something to sit back and wonder on and not know Christ has put people in our lives so that we may ask if we do not understand. And by His good grace and mercy, may He bring through obedience of the ones in leadership, may He bring one to repentance. So if you have a question about these things, please, by all means, ask. But because He suffered, Christ can sympathize. His nature and His person were tried by the fires and by the powers of darkness, and Christ held fast, proving His suffering, that He was man, and proving through perfection, that he is God. Evil swayed, not my Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? That he is tempted by evil. Can the congregation proclaim that today? That evil swayed, not the Jesus that we serve. And yet we have fallen many times, pray to it. Christ is perfect. Any other Jesus, Jesus of the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or any other cult could not be described in this way because any other Jesus is a false Jesus. He might as well be Jesus, the Hispanic gardener, because he just will not do. My Christ this morning is described in biblical text as the man of sorrows. And no one is like him. No other has cared for my soul. No other has cared for your soul. No other has loved your person. Not your mom or your dad or your children or your spouse. I mean, think about it. If if anybody had reason to, to doubt and love you a little less, it's the people who know you best. My wife probably has every excuse not to love me, but let me tell you something, she doesn't have all the excuses and all the reasons that Christ has. Yet He still does. The text says He suffered physically as a man. Sin could not tempt Him. Sin could not cause my Lord to be separated from His deity. He went without food hungry. He went without water thirsty. He went without a place to lie safely. Tired. He had to hide Himself because people wanted to beat Him. Because people wanted to stone Him. They wanted to kill Him. And ultimately, He allowed that to happen. It was a trial and a temptation just to run from those things. 
Forget that he actually was beaten, scourged, and crucified. It must have been a great trial just to be on the run before his time. Just to hide and to separate himself from his own who received him not. People were hateful towards our Christ in his poverty. They shunned him. They neglected him. He was the ultimate reproach before men. That's how he was viewed. That's how he was seen. A righteous man, this Jesus Christ, was called a blasphemer, was called a drunkard. He was beaten and bruised. His followers were afraid and left him, deserted. They denied him. And you think they're bad. We've done the same thing. Still, at this very moment, Christ is present with us. He's still seated on the throne because amongst all of these afflictions, Jesus did what no other man would or could do. He went to the cross, continuing to suffer and still, while proving He is worthy of worship and praise, He was a propitiation. Glory and honor are due Him. All-powerful, almighty God named Jesus Christ. All the pain and the torment and the temptation Jesus held out so that God would receive the glory and so that man would not all taste death before His coming. That's what the text says. He did all of this so that we would not taste death, so that eternal life would be a present possession and we can't even affix our attention to Him but twice a week, if that. How pitiful. How condemning is this truth. Christ has freed the captive and He's done the mightiest of all works in His coming. Because of these things He's able, the text says, to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Because He too is a man He knows what it's like to be a man. He knows what we need. You know, sometimes we know what we need and we still don't go after it. He knows what we need. And as I thought about this, He freed the one who is a slave, one who is walking, sojourning through the wilderness. I thought about the song we sing. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. How does He know? Because He is tempted. He was tempted. In that which He has suffered. In every way like man, He too has been through the wilderness of life and has remained triumphant. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And praise God today that the, where we are walking in this moment is in fact a wilderness. This is not our home. We should be thankful that we'll be delivered from this place. He died as a man 
And he arose as the great God that he is. We who are in him can be aided because the perfect God-man Jesus Christ was on the cross. Aided in our time of temptation and sin. No one else can spare us. Consider these verses this morning. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Describing for us how we are in Adam and how Christ is the second Adam. How Christ is better than the first Adam, but he is man. And his righteousness is God. We should not forget the warning that we see at the beginning of chapter 2. Do not neglect this gospel. This saving message. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Christ has in every way been tempted and suffered and He is able to come to the aid of those who are also tempted because as the serpent may have been crafty, our Lord designed salvation. Our Lord purposed everything that has been placed Every scripture, every text, every chapter and every verse so that we may be devoted to Him and to Him alone. He is able to aid us simply by revealing who He is in the scriptures. It says simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's the truth that the gospel is a simple gospel. Repent and believe and trust and obey. That truly calling on the name of the Lord, one shall be saved. This is a promise of salvation. Promise also comes, as we see in the text today, with a promise of trials. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Tomorrow, this morning we must understand that the Christian will be suffering for some time. And if we are so self-deceived... To think that we are not tempted. Woe to us. We are like the scribes, Pharisees, and the hypocrites. We are tempted. And we must suffer for a while. This is for the church. Suffering is not in vain. It is necessary. Let us with humility... And with constant prayer, welcome the trials of life that is to share in Christ's sufferings. That He may be exalted. That He may be glorified. In everything, let us know that He is to be accredited with the honor and the glory that only belongs to Him. Has forever 
and still does. And so that for his sake, we would be like him. So that we could proclaim the wonders of this great gospel that we should not neglect. We should be conformed by it. Through trials and through tribulation and through temptation, we should be conformed to the image of Christ. Ask yourselves this morning, are the temptations and the trials in my life causing me to look like Jesus Christ? Or are they causing me to look like the first Adam? It's a reality. Every man faces. From the visitor to the pastor. Are our trials causing us to look like Christ? James chapter 1 says, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials aren't over very quickly. True trials. Because this text says that there must be also patience. Patience is never defined by a certain time period. Patience for one may not be patience for another. If there's anything that I may struggle with, it may be patience. I think we all want things to be settled on our own timeline, but the Lord is showing us that our hour has not yet come, that we are not yet perfected. That we are not not yet like Christ. And yet at every moment we're to be following the word of God. As far as it prescribes us to look like Christ. To be obedient like Christ. To keep his commandments because we do in fact love him. It says that you would be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives To all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man. Unstable in all his ways. And then Colossians chapter 1. Now rejoicing in my sufferings for you. And fill up. In my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Is that a reality for the church today? Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Yet if we say that we are not tempted, we are placing confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may be, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul was saying is that he is welcoming the trials and the temptations because they are causing him to see Jesus Christ. Are we seeing Jesus Christ in our trials? Are we being called to repentance by the trials that we face, by the temptations that Christ has already suffered and been victorious over? I think patience works its way in there because it is saying no matter how bad you think that you have the answer, be still and know that I am God because I have already conquered these trials. This is for the church. He says, I would lose everything. Patiently sit by and watch it all collapse. Lose every single thing so that I would have this surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. If we take nothing else away this morning from the text, let us take away that there is nothing more important, no education, no amount of money, no home, No church, no life plans that are better or that are more in value or worth than simply knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ. He is revealing himself through the word. He is revealing himself through the trials and through the tribulation. And he is revealing himself only to his church. Do we look like the Christ who is our bridegroom? Let's go to the Lord. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we just thank you that through trial and tribulation, Lord, that you would even cause us Cause our minds to bring to remembrance the Christ who has suffered all things that we may be set free. Lord, the prayer this morning is for myself and for your people that you would cause us to look and act and think more like Jesus Christ. Lord, conform us to his image would bring us
to a joyful obedience in him to his word that we may keep his precepts. Lord, that we may do your work on earth so that your heavenly kingdom is proclaimed, so that Jesus Christ would be exalted. Lord, as we leave to have a time of fellowship and a meal, Lord, we just ask that you would bless the meal, the preparers and the partakers, Lord, and the ones even today who would go without a meal, Lord, we just ask that uh, if one would go hungry, Lord, that they would not thirst or hunger for that which is, which is spiritual. Lord, that you would provide, even in that, a spiritual sustenance. That we would know Christ and love Him as we should. Love our neighbor, Lord, as we should. And we just ask that you would bless, bless the food and bless our time of fellowship and the message to come. In Jesus' name we pray.